I have a saying that if you can make it in Brazil, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> Frank Sinatra inspired me. Because we were trained in the volatile market, the Brazilian entrepreneurs have been much faster to adapt to the new market conditions with the tighter supply of money. Welcome to The J-Curve, a podcast about tech ecosystem builders in Latin America with me, Olga Maslikova. My goal with The J-Curve is to make the stories of LATAM founders and funders accessible for global community. Every other week, I interview spectacular entrepreneurs and investors who share their most valuable lessons of building, growing, and funding some of the most successful tech companies in Latin America. My guest today is Patricia Marais, founder and managing partner at Unbox Capital, a firm Patricia co-founded together with Luisa Helena Trajano, the founder of Magalu, or magazine Luisa. Unbox Capital portfolio includes the likes of Solinf Tech and Rock Content. Prior to starting Unbox Capital, Patricia spent over 22 years at JP Morgan. Patricia, it's a pleasure to have you as my guest. Welcome to the J-Curve. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you here. I really appreciate your making time, and I think your background, your achievements are incredible, and I would love to dig to the foundational story of everything that you've got to in life and ask you if you could please walk me through the main stages of your professional and personal growth that led to where you are today with Unbox. Yes, well... I think the first obvious answer is a lot of work. It's difficult to achieve something if you don't put a lot of effort, a lot of focus. So if I look at my career, even when I was in college, I went to college in Brazil, in Rio. I'm from Rio, studied economics and decided to do consulting on the technology side, which was a completely different world from the economics world. So it was a lot of work to learn the methodology, the way of thinking, the logic, so you could help companies develop their computer systems, basically. That's what I was doing in the beginning of my career. Fresh out of college. Fresh out of college and not out of an engineering school or a computer science school. So after that, I went to business school. So, you know, when you are an MBA, everybody talks about strategic consulting, et cetera. McKinsey, exactly. the, the obvious uh, regular suspects, yes, the, the visual suspects. And I started to talk to consultants, which I have many friends, but I, I realized I had something different from them, which was I wasn't a big planner, a big strategic thinker. I was much more of let's do it. And let's see where this takes us. It's a different approach. I don't think one is better than the other. It's just the way I operate. So once I had a conversation with a consultant and they told me, oh, it's great because you think about the strategy of the company and, you know, the market. And then I said, I don't want to be thinking for the rest of my life. <laughs> I want to do things. So at that point, I decided I was also studying investment banking. And I, I thought that investment banking was much more execution focused. And there was another thing that investment banking challenged me, which was the number of skills that you need to develop to achieve a successful career, which are, first, you need to be very technical, valuation, understanding, balance sheet, accounting, 
finance. But then you need to learn about different industries, understand what are the drivers of those industries. After that, you need to start learning to read the room because you need to start negotiate contracts. So you need to learn a bit of contracts and law and understand governance and the impact of certain clauses in the contracts. So you learn a lot about the whole corporate law environment, and then what are the interests and what drives people's motivations so you can try to get to the deal. Because it's not only a matter of numbers, it's a whole package of things that get the deal done. When you think about all these experiences, mostly within JP Morgan, right, which is a pretty interesting, high-performing organization driven by meritocracy, if I'm correct about the structure of the corporate culture, what were the key learnings and maybe the key aha moments for you there that you've transferred to your future career? I had a very fulfilling career at JP Morgan. There were 22 years. My last position was head of investment banking in Brazil for almost 10 years. Reflecting back on that period, I think that the fact that I had the values of the corporation, but I had the flexibility to act and to do the things that I believed in was, I think, is the, the sauce for success, is the combination for success. I always say you need to be resilient on your values, but you need to be flexible on the way you do things because you're always working with different people, different cultures, different uh, interests. And I think that JP Morgan allowed me to be the entrepreneur of my career within JP Morgan. I was in a huge institution. I started in New York. I stayed there almost four years, and then I came to Brazil. And JP Morgan changed a lot as a corporation throughout that period of time. We had the big merger with Chase, which was very large in Brazil. And then you had different crises that also create change and impact the institution and impact the way you think, the volatility. I think that what the financial markets brought to me was the ability to deal with volatility, especially being... <laughs> Uh, in an emerging market, volatile as Brazil. So it was a, a very fulfilling, fulfilling experience. And now today, I mean, if you think, I started Unbox at end of 2018. So, I, okay, I had one great year, 2019, and then we had COVID. <laughs> that was my first volatility, right? Um, and then we had the boom years of the free money in the market. Wild, of, wild west. Exactly. Capital. So we saw all sorts of uh, distortions. And then now we had the dry up of the market with the high interest rates. So, you know, I've almost lived my 20 years in JP Morgan, five years at Unbox. I think in Brazil and in the emerging markets in general, all these changes that happen faster. Cycles are much shorter, so you have to be much more flexible and much more adaptable towards change than you can be, say, in the States or in Europe. So 25 years in finance, 
What was that aha moment that led to your decision to leave this finance career and essentially become an entrepreneur in venture capital? How did that come to be? When you are in an institution with such a, a heavy name and I had a heavy position in an institution with a heavy name, you kind of get too connected. I was almost Patricia from JP Morgan. I almost didn't have <laughs> my a last name. My last name is JP Morgan. <laughs> it was almost like this. And uh, for me, the aha moment that was incredible was when I left and a lot of people, you know, came to my office and talked to me, oh, don't leave, and, you know, all that stuff. But the interesting thing was people were not thinking about the deal that we did together or the transaction. It was all personal. People were saying, I will never forget when we, you went, my father was sick, and you went to the hospital to visit me because I was there with him. Or when I had the chance to go abroad on a career opportunity, and you talked to me, and you gave me strength to go forward because I was insecure. It had nothing to do. It was very interesting with, you know, oh, we did that IPO or that large M&A. It was very much about people. So when I left, I thought, okay, let's see who looks at me as Patricia and who looks at me as Patricia from JP Morgan. And I have to say, 100% of the people were looking at me at Patricia. I didn't have one unreturned call. I had a lot of incoming calls and people thought I could do anything, you know, from being a board member, from being CEO of a bank, being partner at a small boutique or starting my VC firm. That was very rewarding. I think that was a very big aha moment because I've always been personable in a finance world where sometimes it's not much valued or people think it's not much value. Yeah, valued. People perceive it as a transactional environment and you prove that it's not. So that showed me that building my business, you have to put people first. And then when people are with you, on the boat, everybody together, you'll go through any wave. And we've had many waves. And that's very rewarding to be able to, to build something that has your values and has the values of the people that are partnering with you in that uh, journey. And how did the Unbox itself come to be? What was the foundational story of your partnership with Luisa Helena Trajano? So... I became very close to Luisa through the women's group that we have, Mulheres do Brasil. Luisa put together a group of 40 women to go to Brasilia for a meeting with the president in 2013. And she put together a very diverse group. We had women from all over Brazil. We had women from the communities. We had women that uh, were head of ONGs. And we have women in finance. And when we got there, that each one of us started to talk about themselves, we realized that we all had something in common, which was to help transform Brazil. That the society, the people, were the ones who were going to push the transformation of Brazil in all its areas, right? Going from social, but education, entrepreneurship. 
I mean, we all had very clear views of what the country needed. And that was a very special moment. So after that, we started the group. Today, the group has 116,000 women. 116. So it started with 40 women, and now it's 116,000 yes. women. Yes, all over the world. Many, I think we have over 150 different cities and countries, and each one of them choose what are the topics or what we call the causes that they want to work on. So some people want to work with the elderly. Some people want to work with the communities. Some people want to work with education. And we do the projects together with the local ONGs that are already working on those causes. But that's where I met Luisa and then became very close. So when I left the bank, she told me, you know, I think you have the seed of entrepreneurship in you. We always wanted to support entrepreneurship. What do you think of coming and joining forces with us to develop that? And that's how Unbox uh, was born. So Luisa Rajano is, even before I got to Brazil, I knew about Magalu and I read about her and I was very impressed with her story and her background and actually how her family operates and how people give back within the family. So what was her impact on your growth that started that moment when you guys met in that group of 40 women in Brasilia or before Brasilia? Yes. I think that what Luisa proved to me is that what I had been doing, which was putting people first, not bending my values to do things because of money or because of uh, uh, success or those are not part of who I am. And I saw that a person that had similar approach, values, of course, many other things, but similar approach, she was she could go very, very far. So she gave me the strength to kind of continue doing and, and being more vocal also about what, what I was doing. Because as Freddy, her son, once told me, he said, Pachi, you are a coffee tree in the middle of a corn plantation. <laughs> you know, I thought, very visual, right? So I said, look, I've always been this and you know what some other people are like this too maybe i have something here and and it gave me the strength to continue because of course you see people doing different things around you everybody kind of in a herd going in another direction and you know this was very valuable for me especially recently at unbox on the crazy years of 2000 2021 and we saw a lot of businesses. We saw a lot of good businesses. But we saw a lot of transactions that, in our view, did not have the balance, the risk-reward balance. So we did not do any transactions in this period. Did you have fear of missing out at all? Did you so, experience that? So Yes. I mean, I was telling the team and the team also was looking around and I felt that we were swimming against the tide. I told the team, guys, you need to help me here. I feel like we are swimming against 
the tide. But, you know, you need to be very strong to do that. And, of course, we had great partners, our investment committee, supporting us on, on those recommendations of not doing and keep monitoring maybe in the future because there were some businesses that we liked. But as I said before, we kept uh, strong on our beliefs. And I think in the end, it was for the, for the better. Totally. Right? Recession always proves it, right? Proves exactly. What's the, what's the saying? Was swimming without pants? Uh, oh, yes, yes. What's that uh, Warren Buffett says that when the tide goes down, you'll see who, who is swimming without pants. Exactly. So I had gone through many crises in my career. This is not my first. Rodeo. Uh, it's not. So I joke. Whomever got into the financial markets after 2008 don't know what uh, <laughs> financial market. Well, maybe now they're learning. Now they're learning. <laughs> so, and, you know, I went through the 2008 crisis and it wasn't fun, right? And other crises since the beginning of my career. So anyway, having your beliefs and doing what you believe in without worrying what other people are are doing. Maybe they have the motives, but uh, they're not mine. I think it helped us to have a very focused approach and successful business. So when you think about Unbox in terms of how it operates and in terms of investment strategy, what are the things that matter? What are the core beliefs around the firm and around the investment approach and building the partnerships with entrepreneurs? So I'll start from the end. First, we need to have a partnership with the entrepreneurs. That's, that's number one. Right in the beginning of Unbox, we had one uh, investment committee, and I was still testing to see what sort of businesses we were going to get into and oh, exchanging ideas, right? So I told Fabricio, who is the other member of the family, we have Luisa, Fabricio, and myself in the committee. And it's all unanimous. It has to be unanimous for us to make an investment. So I told Fabrizio, Fabrizio, we saw this business. I think you know uh, it was business for trade, to doing trade marketing in, in stores. So something that he knows, he runs all the stores for Magalu. But you know, I was a little unsure about the partner because I think he wants to buy out his other partner, but he wasn't clear about it. And Fabrizio said, I don't even want to hear about the business. If you don't trust the entrepreneur, I don't want to hear. So that sets a very strong message and tone of how we look at things. So the first thing is, of course, the size of the business, but it is the entrepreneurs and the team. And then we go deeper. Business model, we never believed in, you know, Buying 99 cents, paying $2. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We understand burning cash to grow. That's part of the game. But we don't understand a business model that doesn't stay on its foot. It has negative unit economics. It, it doesn't make sense. And I joke, you leave JP Morgan, but the JP Morgan doesn't Never leave, leave you, you know? So, entrepreneur. Another important thing. Who are your partners? Who are the other people investing with you? We have a very specific way of investing. We like to put the company first. 
there's always a balance that you need to achieve between companies' needs, the entrepreneur needs, and the investor needs. You need to have the appropriate partners and the governance and the trust between the parties so you can achieve that. Because otherwise, it's not sustainable. We want to invest in companies that are going to be the big enterprises in a few years. And for that, you need to focus and to have something balanced, which is very much aligned as well on the way Magalu was built. Taking care of all stakeholders, not only shareholders, not only employees, not only suppliers. And I believe it's the same for the companies earlier stage that we are investing in. I believe in a balanced governance uh, where people feel good about being part of that uh, of that. So I want to unpack a little bit. So let's start with an entrepreneur. So when you think about the entrepreneur profile that fits the approach and strategy of Unbox, what does this person look like? Well, first, they are visionary. They want to change the world. A lot of entrepreneurs are like this, right? But second, they really need to value what we bring to the table which is this balanced approach. Because especially when you talk about 2020, 21, and even beginning of 22, people were more worried about the highest valuation, probably, which is, I'm not saying is wrong, but sometimes the highest valuation may not come with the best partner. So we really want someone that believes that we can help them grow the company, support, we are their shoulder, when they need it, we are their trusted partner when they need to exchange ideas and, uh, you know, vent out uh, frustrations or whatever it is. We don't want to run the company. We don't want to define the strategy of the company. We believe in the vision of the entrepreneur. But we want to be there because we know there are many difficulties in the way. A lot of times, especially on growth companies, a lot of times the team that have started with you, not everyone is able to develop to the next stage of the company. So you have to take difficult decisions. The founder needs to take difficult decisions to change people. We want to be there for them. Sometimes the entrepreneur wants to go to a different market. You want to be there for them. I mean, there's so many situations. This company, I say that growth companies are like teenager kids. They're starting to drive. You know, <laughs> every day there is a different uh, thing going on. And in terms of venture partners, your co-investors, what are the characteristics of funds or partners and specific firms that you believe are important for building successful partnerships on the cap table level? We are partners with lots of different types of funds and uh, even strategics. And I think that the most important that the people are aligned to make the company successful more, that they are aligned to make their careers successful, because that's when the unbalanced propositions come to the table. So I like very much when you have a group that, you know, especially in this market, you need to take difficult decisions. So I like to see when we are all on the same boat driving towards the same goal. I think that's a much bigger success of the company to succeed than one is worried what their investor are going to think, the other is worried what their peers are going to think. It happens. 
And I think that's when a company goes bust, when the board is distracted trying to uh, protect themselves and not try to achieve what's best for the company. But I mean, we are very partner friendly, and this is also something in the uh, my partner's culture that I also carry, which is whenever you have a problem, sit down and talk frankly about it, and let's try to resolve it. And not talk it behind closed doors with other people, try to create. I mean, you're not going to solve and you're just going to create more noise. So you have to be very frank about the different issues. Look, I didn't like what you said, or I don't like your position because of this, this. How can we achieve a better, a more balanced? It's hard to do. A lot of people are not used to it. But, you know, if you want to have a balanced relationship, you need to talk about the problems. So we have to face them. Radical transparency and ability to have a straightforward conversation. It's so important for building long-term relationships. It's challenging. It's really hard, especially for Brazilian culture that is really well-rounded. I think as an outsider, that's how I think about it. But I do think it's super, super important. You have a substantial part of your portfolio of companies that have a global presence or are global leaders already from Solinf Tech to Rock Content. So how do you think about global potential for Latin American companies? I have a saying that if you can make it in Brazil, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> Frank Sinatra inspired me, but it's true. <laughs> It's so much harder, not on the market level, but on the day-to-day business management level of all the different taxes and rules. And so if you can make it in Brazil to go to another market, if your product is scalable, is global, and the entrepreneur has the vision and the desires, we will support. And I think that because we were trained in the volatile market, in a more difficult market to operate, I think that the Brazilian entrepreneurs are very, very flexible to adapt to different and challenging situations. As a matter of fact, I even heard from one of our partners, which is a US VC, and he was saying that the companies that he has, Brazilian entrepreneurs have been much faster to adapt to the new market conditions with the tighter supply of money than some of his U.S. entrepreneurs. Not to say that the U.S. entrepreneurs are not great, but they're less used to dealing with little money, high inflation, and a more high interest environment came as a big surprise exactly. for a lot of entrepreneurs. That have never <laughs> seen that. You know, I think Brazilians are born with the gene of uh, <laughs> how to deal with high interest rates. When you think about the next, say, decades, what are some of the trends could be technological, could be business and industries that you are specifically excited about? Well, of course, we, we, we have to talk about AI. I think that if today entrepreneurs have not already, you know, included a lot of the data analysis and their business models, they're kind of late already, <laughs> right? I think that's going to define a big part in my view of the 
kind of the winners and losers in a way. I also think that the entrepreneurs that have the mindset, and I'm not going to talk about sectors, more of a mindset of going back to basics and building businesses that they can scale, but businesses in a way that we're saying where the unit economics are strong, where they have a structured distribution and intelligent distribution strategy. Because I think that when money was easy, let's hire salespeople and let's sell. I mean, I sold for many years. I was in investment banking. It's really hard to sell well, especially when it's a complex product. So it's not, oh, I'll hire 30 salespeople and I'm going to increase my sales 30 times. That's not how it happens. We have a, a venture partner who's very funny. He's an entrepreneur. And he told me, I don't understand hiring salespeople even before you sell. First you sell, and then you hire the salespeople to sell more. So I think that it's going to be more of an attitude of really going back to basics and taking one step at a time. It doesn't mean that it has to be slow. It can be fast, but you need to take the steps. Don't hire 30 people to sell when you don't know what you're selling or no who playbook. you're selling. Yeah. Some of those things will need to be revisited so we can build incredible and sustainable companies. But I think, you know, healthcare is an amazing area. I mean, it's an area that for us, we are not specialists, so we would love to partner with people on companies and projects on healthcare. And of course, we have to talk all the innovation that's going to come from all the environmental initiatives that are going on around the world in terms of materials, in terms of way of doing business, in terms of, you know, uh, recycling 360. I think that a lot of innovation is going to come out from all the environmental aspects. I really like that you have a portfolio of companies that are not tech enablers, companies that are deep tech companies that combine physical and software infrastructure. I personally think that the contribution of this hybrid infrastructure projects in the future of tech will increase dramatically and the VC mindset has to be adopted back to the history. You mentioned back to the basics. So you got to go back to the basics and understand that the VC as an asset class was created to support breakthrough innovations. And I think environmental innovations yes. is something that you cannot fix through enablers by any stretch of imagination. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, that's the thing about Brazil. We have great creativity. A lot of universities doing innovation. I mean, we have Embrapa doing innovation in ag and companies doing innovation. But we talk very little about it. That is true. We were talking earlier about marketing and uh, storytelling. Storytelling. And I think Brazil lacks, you know, we are too focused on our work and too little on marketing it. Brazil is uh, blessed with our climate, with our forests, water. So we have a lot of innovation, but it's still underneath the surface. So we need to elevate the bubble. profile. Yes. Yeah. We need to do that. I want to touch on two more topics before we move to the rapid fire. 
And one topic you already mentioned, you mentioned board governance. And I think a lot of startups suck at board governance. They don't think they need it. Their perception of the board is not as a high-performing, supportive mechanism. It's more like this controller, and you need to report to them, and you need to make sure that you report in the way that they don't really interrogate you any further, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you have incredible experience, and board governance matters to Unbox. So when you think about high-performing boards... What does definition mean to you and how do you advise founders in terms of when in the company life cycle they need to have the board and how to build an effective board and how to run an effective board? Okay. It's uh, a big topic. It's a, yeah, it's a big topic. <laughs> Let's see. Well, first, I don't think that really early stage companies need boards. I think that what entrepreneurs need in the beginning is really people that they trust of course, that have different views that can complement theirs so they can have sounding boards. Sounding board, right? Uh, People that can help them think issues through. There comes a point, of course, when that becomes an overtime job. I mean, it's hard to say, but let's say Series A, maybe going to a B, do something more structured. But the board also has, you know, the boards, they build their own personality. Some boards are very feisty, but they come to a good conclusion. Some fight and come to horrible conclusions. So I think it's very important to balance the personalities within the board. Sometimes you have someone that is very strong in a board that the other people don't talk. And then you don't hear the views. So it's a combination of who the entrepreneur feels that will add value to them, but also he needs to look at their personalities. I have a a funny story. When one of the first businesses that we look at was an educational business, and I really, really liked the entrepreneur. I saw the business was very small for us, but so I started to ask him what issues he had, and he said, yes, I have a great board, and he said the name or five or or six business people in Brazil, some of them I knew, and I knew their personalities. And I remember I told him at the end of our conversation, I said, look, I think you need to be very careful because they were all angels on his business, right? And he was like, oh, they're very supportive. And I'm thinking, I know these personalities. They think they are better than him and they're going to clash. And I said, you just need to be careful. You need to count on your board for specific things, but you cannot let them think that they are running your company because otherwise they're going to think you are dispensable. Can you believe? This This was July or June. In December, the board had taken out the founder. I swear. I said, but these people are crazy. He's the founder, not them. But I mean, What I mean to say is that, yes, maybe you have big personalities, but okay, but call them once in a while and and get their views, but you don't need them sitting, kind of outshining the whole thing and thinking that they are better than everyone. Take care of the personalities also so you can have a balanced board. And don't come only with the financial stuff to the board. That's the other thing. Otherwise, you become a control function. You know, you have to bring strategic discussions, your strategic view, 
give space for people to give their best side of their experience. Because if you just talk about the numbers and all, usually you only look to the past and to the numbers. And what is most important is what is right around the corner in the future, and we never have enough time to discuss. I really am still thinking about what you said about there's people who outshine you and who think that they're better than you. It's a very different power dynamic, and it's probably something that you don't want as a founder. You want them to empower you. They don't want them to do you a favor. The other topic that I wanted to touch on before rapid fire is like super important topic for me and for you as female leaders. And you are one of the rare models, rare just because it's a minority still for other females in tech and VC industry. So what do you think are some of the ways to incentivize more women to enter tech and VC space? You need to show more women that is possible because you know what happens sometimes they don't even go at university they don't even go to the meetings because they feel that is not for them so one thing that i did when i and i was already very active when i was in investment banking but you know when i came to vc private equity i realized it's even worse than investment banking in terms of the number of women up top so we had a group of senior women in private equity that I was part of when I just joined because I knew all of them from my time at the bank. So they invited me as soon as I opened Unbox. And then I told them, guys, let's do a group, a bigger group, where in a way anybody who is interested in venture and in private equity can come in because then they will have access to other women who are doing this job, and at least they will be included some way in this environment. You know what I had to do? I had to cold email the heads of the various VCs, because some of them I didn't know. I was new in the segment. And I sent an email, and I said, look, I'm Patricia. I just founded Unbox Capital. I'm trying to gather all the women in the industry do you have any women working for you? I swear. So you couldn't even locate women I didn't out of public even, I didn't even know who they were, where they were. And it was great. And so all the guys answered and they're like, oh, I have this great partner here or I have this great analyst. It didn't matter. I didn't want senior Just people. Partners, yeah. I wanted anybody who had an interest in the segment. So we did the first event. This was right before the pandemic into end of 2019. And we already had 80 women at that event. So the, the, there was a group of 16 and suddenly became 80. And one started to invite the other. Of course, the pandemic came. We kind of you had our J moment, right? But then in 2022, we picked it up. We did an event. We had over 150 women now our group has almost 300 women. We are going to events together because that's another thing. Whenever you go to an event, like a VC event, there are a lot of guys and very few women. So women end up, not you know, going. I'm not going. I, I felt that way many times. But now people say in the group, we have a WhatsApp group, is anybody going to this event? Oh, I'm going, I'm going. Okay, so we meet there. 
you know, and you feel that at least you're not going to be alone. We are never alone, I know, but you know what I mean? You feel kind of someone is going to be there for you. So that's the first, let's say, step. And that's, I think, how we are building. We need to build. And of course, going to universities saying that is possible, giving visibility like you do to women in the sector so other women get inspired and see that they can do it and win in their own way. We need to attack in all fronts. Marginal improvements, but every day compounds. Yes. What would be your advice to women who want to break into venture capital or maybe just in investment field? What's the best way to get started? I think learning like you do uh, doing angel investments, even if you're just listening to the stories and not uh, putting any money to work, but getting involved on those networks, I think it's a, it's already a start, at least to get your brain trained on innovation. Right? And how do you create an idea? How do you take an idea from paper to execution? So I think that's a, a very good uh, way to get your feet wet in the segment. And then, you know, get out there and learn about the business. There's so much information available nowadays. You know, I remember in my time that I went to work in consulting and I barely knew what consulting was. Today, there's so much information and people want to help. You will be surprised. I've hired people that have just sent me uh, a LinkedIn. Of course, it went through the whole process. But in the end, it was a person that was interested and came in from a LinkedIn cold call. So get out there. It's the right? best piece of advice. So I lied to you. I have another question which has been on my mind since the beginning of our interview. You have such an unbelievable high level of positive energy. How do you fuel your energy? Where do you source energy from? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that people give me energy. Meeting new people, because I'm curious and I want to hear the stories. And I think that you always have something new to learn. But also building things and executing things and seeing things from different angles. So the more you do, the more you learn, the more you see things from different perspectives. And I think that's very, very exciting. I'm curious. I like the new. I sometimes think about, and going back to my investment banking years, and you know, in the beginning investment banking, it is very hard. I didn't sleep many nights. I gained weight. I didn't have a boyfriend, you know, the typical whole <laughs> thing. But Having to go through that maybe didn't have to be so painful, but the reality is what did I take from that? Is that that gave me this very solid base that now I can just open up to the world and learn new things. And I have this in my bag. The technical stuff I have in my bag is very easy to pull the tools that I need. It's not heavy for me if I have to do a new thing. I think I've been through the worst already. <laughs> so now it's all upside. <laughs> I love the approach to life. Incredible. <laughs> Aiming to that. All right, let's move to the rapid fire. I'll ask you five short questions and I'll appreciate your immediate responses. I'll and try. Let's dive right in. <laughs> the first question is, what's one book or piece of content every founder should read or watch or listen and why? So... 
I just listened to um, an old book from Chris Voss. It's a, a negotiations book. He's a, an FBI negotiator. Never split the difference. Never split the difference. Exactly. Exactly. I took so many notes because I was listening. So I took my, you know, the notes on the iPhone and I started chapter one and I took the notes. I mean, it's an excellent, excellent book. And the one thing there for the founders and for VCs and whomever is raising capital is, you know, it's better a no than a yes with no commitment. If you have a no, maybe you understand what that no is and you try to work around it and get to the yes. Now, if you have a yes, but the person never answers your phone again, just said yes so they can get rid of you, is much worse. I think it's an excellent book. I told my team they all have to listen, read, whatever. Never split the difference. That's exactly Incredible. it. And get to your first no was my, when I internalized the concept, I think I stopped being afraid of getting rejected. When you make getting to know your ultimate negotiation goal, like the first step, you stop being afraid of it. Exactly. It's so great. And we get so many no's in life. So (laughs) many no's. When you think about leadership, who is the first person that comes to mind? I have to say today, definitely Luisa, Elena Trajano. She's a, a big inspiration and she's, she's becoming visible worldwide. You know, her recognition, it's becoming visible worldwide, which I think it's incredible because she has a very unique way of, uh, of leading. It's a great leadership example out of Brazil and it's a female leader as well, yes. which is the whole difference. If you could hit rewind and make, one decision differently. What's that one decision in your life that you would change? I say that whenever I got into the women's group, which was when we created it in 2013, my life really opened up because even though we, and I'm a curious person and I know a lot of different people, when investment banking opens a lot of doors, it's still a very narrow part of the world. The world is much more diverse and much more interesting. So I wish we had started before because getting to know all these women that were working in different things or were not working of all ages from different parts of Brazil opened up my mind and my consciousness for things that I wasn't conscious. So now Brazil, for example, is much more vocal about racism and all the issues that we have. When I was in my, now I call little world in a way, even though it wasn't so little, bubble. my bubble, I wasn't conscious. It made me conscious. Or when we talk about violence against women, Maybe it was right next to me, but I wasn't conscious of it. And getting to know all these people and listening to them and understanding and learning other rhythms because, you know, the financial market has a very fast-paced rhythm and suddenly you're dealing with people with different rhythms and you need to sometimes be patient, right? And uh, learn how to listen to other people and it, it takes work, okay? 
but it's an incredible, it changed my life. So I wish that I had had that chance before. Doesn't mean that I'm not taking full advantage of it since then, and I am today. Some of my best friends are women that I met at the group. So I would say to everyone that has the chance, and every industry has their bubble. The doctors have the bubble. The journalists have the bubble. The artists have the bubble. Everybody has the, It's their comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone because it's incredible what you can learn and what you live. I second that. You got out of your comfort zone completely, no? <laughs> All the time. I feel comfortable with being uncomfortable to the extent that I'm questioning, is that too comfortable? If you could wake up tomorrow, having gained one quality or capability, what would that be? I'm trying to be more, more visible, more vocal, because I think that we need to share to... I don't want to say inspired because I think that's oh, kind it of is a beautiful arrogant. World. Yeah, but it's a bit, it's more to show people that it's possible and you don't need to be a rocket scientist to do it. As I said in the beginning, with hard work, you know, doing what you believe, the way you believe, truthful to who you are, can take you very far and make you a very fulfilled uh, person. So I think that. Uh, maybe a better communicator so you know we can share and inspire people to go after what they believe i think that brazilian uh youth especially i mean the pandemic was very hard everywhere for you know the youth and their vision of future i think it's very sad sometimes the way they look at the future no perspective no hope or, you know, no opportunity. <laughs> That's the reality. Sometimes they don't see that. The opportunities are there, but they don't have access to it. They don't have the training to take advantage of the opportunities. So I just wish we could show people that everybody has opportunity and push them forward because I think Brazil is very potent, very creative, and uh, we owe us as a country to to give this to, you know, to show this to the world. And of course, first show this to our young generations. Last question would be my favorite question. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I have a rating and I'm planning an event around the rating. If you were an alcoholic beverage, which beverage would you be and why? Oh my God. Which alcoholic beverage reflects your personality? <laughs> well, I think... Uh, Champagne. <laughs> burst. Yes. Of a burst flavor, of energy. Of energy. Of uh, celebration. Of celebration and, and yes. optimism as well. I sure. think you, we need to be grateful. It doesn't mean that it's all flowers, right? Everybody has issues and problems. But at the same time, we need to look at the future and try to, to make it better for us and for everyone. I always say, you know, I'm not Wonder Woman. It's impossible. You know, women have a little bit of this, oh, I need to be perfect at home. I need Imposter to be perfect. Imposter syndrome. At, yeah, I don't have that. I know I'm not perfect at anything. <laughs> I do the best that I can. I work hard. I give my best. And sometimes 
things don't work out. And then, you know, I never felt that I was the best when something very good happened. But I also never felt that I was the worst when something bad or something did not happen. I always tried to take it lightly, not so heavy on me as well. Not to go to the extremes. Exactly. It's very hard because life is volatile, right? You have surprises. Sometimes you need to prioritize your family and cannot prioritize what you wanted to prioritize at that point. You, I mean, it's full of surprises. So we need to deal with change all the time. And I think that that's probably the secret. Try to deal with the changes and the unexpected in a light way. And celebrate the achievements. And celebrate and celebrate friendship. Celebrate I have friends. a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends and celebrate love and family. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today. Your energy is contagious and I am almost envy of the founders and the partners with whom you collaborate and cooperate on a daily basis. Thank you so much for being such a incredible ray of light in the venture capital and tech ecosystem in Brazil and Latin America. Thank you, Olga. It was very nice to meet you and very inspiring to hear your story as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The J-Curve. It was such a pleasure to have Patricia as my guest. To learn more about Patricia, go to www.unboxcapital.com. And to hear more from us, go to www.thejcurve.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at The J Curve Podcast. Rate us on Spotify and follow me on Instagram at Olga Maslikova with KH. Thank you for being with me today.